Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. Through the years, these studies have looked at the books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, and Hebrews. At times, we will have studies devoted to Jewish cultural events or issues relating to Israel and prophecy. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. This information will be repeated at the end of the podcast. Enjoy the Bible study. And we're starting out in just the first four verses. What we have here in chapter 5, in the first four verses, it introduces us uh, specifically to the high priest and what we're going to have in the next three chapters. Chapter 6 is really a, um, a parenthetical thought uh, as we get into it because chapter 6 is the third warning passage in Hebrews. And remember, uh, always keep in mind, there are two groups in focus that are being addressed in this book. Both of them are Jewish but one are those who possess the Lord. They're truly saved. The others are those who just profess the Lord, kind of like, well, George Allen doesn't even profess the Lord anymore. He says he's an atheist. But um, uh, Jewish people who have come to a head knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah profess that he's the Messiah, but never have accepted him with their heart. So they are in danger of going back to mosaism, to temple worship, and that type of thing. And in the book of Hebrews, it's a book of contrast. Jesus is so much better than angels, Moses. And now we're coming specifically to the high priest. And five and seven especially will deal with that. Uh, Jesus is so much better than the high priest. But by extension, as we look at the first four verses, and we are going to see here, the um, criteria that, are, that is at least laid down in these first four verses for that of a priest, really. Uh, certainly the high priest. The high priest is just one of uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of men who would be priests in Israel. Now, he was the unique high priest, and he had that uh, opportunity once a year to go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and uh, offer that sacrifice for the nation. But he would have to meet all the same requirements to be a priest that all of the other priests would. So there are at least six qualifications of the high priest, and by extension, to be a priest that are found in the first four verses. Now I've listed them right off the top. Number one, they're taken from men. Uh, and, and we'll mention that as, as we go down. But a priest represents men before God. 
That was what the office of priests did. They, in a sense, stood with uh, mankind to their back, facing God, and they were the mediator, they were the intercessor, they were the uh, representative of individuals to a holy God. And so they were taken from men. In other words, angels were not priests. Angels could not fulfill that role. Uh, also in verse 1, they were appointed for men. Their ministry was for men. To God, but for men. Uh, the next point, they were occupied with things pertaining to God. So they, they ministered for men, uh, but they were occupied with things pertaining to God. The fourth thing is that they were to bear gently with the ignorant and the erring, uh, those who had gone astray. So they were to bear gently or compassionately, is the word in the King James that, that is used. So they were to have compassion on the ignorant and the erring. And there's, there's, two, there's two different thoughts there, and we'll look at that as we get into it. Um, they were to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Um, gifts being an animal sacrifice really could have taken the word gifts out of there. But they were to offer sacrifices for sins. Uh, the priests were. That was part of what they would do. Verses 1 and verses, verse 3. And then they must be called of God. Uh, you didn't choose to be a priest. You had to be called of God. And ultimately we'll see that God set aside one tribe to be the priest. Now that, that wasn't how it was initially. Remember who was initially when God called the nation of Israel? And we'll look at it. But remember initially when God called the nation of Israel? Who was called to be the priest? Well, the high priest, yes. Aaron was to be the high priest. But the priests were... Not Levites, no. The who? No. The firstborn of every family. Firstborn male of every family. So it doesn't matter then what tribe you are from. You could be Levite. You could be Issachar. You could be Dan. You could be Simeon. You could be whatever the case might be. But uh, initially... Uh, every single firstborn male was to be set apart to be a priest and serve God. So, now, that changed. And God changed how he was going to do it, and he set aside one particular tribe. So, uh, regardless whether it's how God was first going to do it or how he ultimately did it with a tribe, you didn't choose to be a priest, you were called to be a priest. And if you were born into the tribe of Levi, uh, you had that calling on your life to be a priest. So you have these six criteria uh, that we find in the first four verses. Now, we're going to compare this to ourselves. Because these six criteria are also applicable to each believer today. Because according to 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9, we are priests. Now, we are not priests after the Levitical order. We're not priests certainly like in Old Testament days, uh, the Levitical priesthood, serving at the tabernacle and then the temple. But look at verses 5 through 9 of 1 chapter 2. Ye also as lively or living stones 
are built up a spiritual house. Now, what, what other passage can you think of, and I didn't put it down here, when talks about living stones and a spiritual house and talking about believers? Can you think of the passage that I have in mind without reading my mind? Not Peter. We're in, this is Peter, 1 Peter 2. You know what it is. It's Ephesians chapter 2. And, and we're Jew and Gentile. Jesus Christ is the, is the chief cornerstone. And we are living stones fitly framed together. We're, we're building up in the Lord a house. Well, it's the same thought right here. And when we speak of church in our vernacular today, it's the Greek word ekklesia, literally means not, you know, your church is, ecclesia means called out ones. And church is a word that was uh, accepted in the English-speaking world at least as early as the King James translation when they translated ecclesia as church. Uh, sanctified ones, called out ones, um, assembled ones, would, would have been a better term than church, but it's so accepted today. Um, but it's, it's the called out ones, the living stones, and we are built up a spiritual house. I'm back to 1 Peter 2 now. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we who are living stones in that spiritual house, which we are the called out ones, the church, we'll use the term that is very well accepted and used today, and you'll find it oftentimes in your translation, even if you don't have the King James, you'll find it in whatever translation usually. Uh, if you're in that house, if you're part of the body of Christ, if you're in the part of the called out ones, part of the church, you're a, you're a living stone, and you're a, then you're what? You're a holy priesthood, to be unique, set apart for God, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, that obviously is a main difference than what we find in the Levitical priesthood, because what's, not that their whole modus operandi was not spiritual, it was. But what kind of sacrifices did they offer up to God? Physical. Animals. Goats and lambs and turtle doves and whatever the case might be. And other things at times too. We offer up spiritual sacrifices. Uh, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Because that's the cornerstone. That's the crux. That's the foundation of what we do. Um, and then he quotes an Old Testament verse, verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Uh, unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the stone same as made the head of the corner. You know, you've heard that before, I'm sure, Psalm 118. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Going back to Isaiah here, Isaiah chapter 8. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So 
He's talking about Jesus as the stone, as the Messiah, the cornerstone, the stumbling stone, the rock of offense, all of this. Then he says in verse 9, but you, royal priesthood, living stones, the spiritual house that God's building, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, we're going to look at this under verse 1, but just let me mention again. In verse 1 and verse, in verse 5 and verse 9, we have the two primary responsibilities or applications, however you want to term it, that we today as believers, as priests before God, have. Number one, we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Number two, verse nine, we are to show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his spiritual light. So we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices and bring forth praises to, to the Lord. He who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So praising him. So look at verse 1. So we're, we're going to bring these comparisons in each of these uh, points to us today because I think it's fitting. And, and all six of these requirements, criteria, for, for the Old Testament priesthood are also applicable for us today as believers. And you'll see that. Look at verse 1. And again, the, the, the real comparison here is the high priest. Jesus is ultimately, chapter 5, chapter 7, so much better than the high priest of Israel. He is our high priest. So he starts out, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So he offers both gifts and sacrifice. So you have four things here, criteria for, a, for the high priest, but also priests. He's taken from among men. He is uh, ordained for men, literally meaning he's appointed for men. That's the whole purpose. His, his appointment is for men. He, he ministers for people, to God. The next phrase, pertaining to God, and he offers both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, the first one, taken from among men. Uh, Numbers chapter 3 in verses uh, 5 through 13, and I've only put down a few of the verses here, not the whole section. But look what verse 3, 5, and chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6 says. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near. And present them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister unto him. Then verse 11 and 12. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, and, and I, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of all the firstborn, and it would have been the firstborn males, instead of all the firstborn that opened the matrix among the children of Israel, the, therefore the Levites shall be mine. So initially, again, the, high, the priests were to come from all the tribes of Israel, the one, the male, that opened the, the womb. Uh, that individual, whatever tribe it was, didn't matter, would be set aside to be a priest representing God 
the things pertaining to God, for men. But God switched it around. And he decided to call one tribe the Levites. That's what it's talking about here. Now, I didn't put the verses 44 through 48, but if you have your Bible, in Numbers chapter 3, in 44 through 48 of Numbers chapter 3, it says this. The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel. So take the Levites, not the firstborn. And the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle. And the, cattle, and the Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. So the Levites is going, are going to belong to the Lord. And the cattle of the Levites, not the cattle of the rest of the people, but all the possessions of the Levites. The Levites, they are going to be mine. Verse 46. And for those that are to be redeemed of the 203 score and 13 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, which are more than the Levites, thou shalt even take five shekels apiece by the pole. After the shekel of the sanctuary shalt thou take them, the shekel is 20 garaz, and thou shalt give the money wherewith the odd number of them is to be redeemed unto Aaron and his sons. And it talks about uh, going on, verse 49, Moses took the redemption money of them that were over and above them that were redeemed by the Levites, uh, and, and so on, going to Aaron and his sons. Now, the sons of Aaron then would be, generally speaking, what? Priests. Aaron would be the first high priest, as someone said. So what God commanded to be done is what is, is, is called pijon haben. And even to this very day, in, in Orthodox Judaism, you will have a pigeon haben ceremony. It's on the 30th day of the child's life. It's only done for the firstborn male. Pigeon means redemption. Ha ben, ha the ben son. It's the redemption of the first, it's, it's literally the redemption of the son, but it's understood the redemption of the firstborn son. And in, in Orthodox Judaism today, they will actually have a uh, pijan haben on the 30th day of that firstborn male child's life, if he's not a Levite, by the way, if he's of any other tribe. And what they will do, the family will pay Normally, five silver coins, five dollars, it's ceremonial. It's not really important that it be five silver coins. And it's ceremonial showing that we are redeeming our child back to us because the Levites minister in place of our firstborn male child. And so that is a very common uh, ceremony that takes place in the Orthodox Jewish world even to this very day, as God commanded them, because the Levites are, are sitting in for you, as it were, and, and removing from your firstborn male child the responsibility of serving as my priests, so you have to pay the Levites money. You have to give them five coins of silver, 
uh, and the value here to redeem your son back from that which was initially obligated to them. Now, the exception would be the Levites, as I said, and the exception being with the Levites because they were set aside as the tribe to serve God. I'm a Levite. I'm not a firstborn. I missed it by four minutes. Um, I'm a twin, so some of you know that, I think. My brother is four minutes older than I am, so he is the firstborn, but that's fine because the secondborn get all the blessing. But anyway, um, <laughs> amen, amen, yeah. It was, so it was, it was not Ishmael, it was Isaac. It was not Esau, it was Jacob. Uh, it's not firstborn into this world that gets you the blessings. It's when you're secondborn, when you're born again. So um, anyway, we weren't religious as a family, so we didn't do the pidgin. We were circumcised, but we didn't have the... Uh, uh, the Pijan Haben ceremony, but it wouldn't have been for me anyway. It would have been my twin brother who's four minutes older, so t technically he was the firstborn male in the family. But it wouldn't happen anyway because we're Levites. And being Levites, we didn't have to be redeemed back because by dint of being uh, of the tribe of Levi, our responsibility was to be pertaining to the Lord for people and serving him, that type of thing. So... Um, you're taken from men, um, and, and we can see that. And when, when we think of us as believers and, um, high, and, and priests, royal priesthood, holy priesthood, set apart, God determined that he was going to use men to reach people, uh, to minister to people. You know, sometimes you sit back, why didn't he use angels? They have so much more smarter and quicker and faster and uh, they don't sin and you know and you know certainly it would have been angels uh, but it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching uh, mankind to reach men so he ordained mankind to minister to other people men and women uh, so we have been called we are we are born into this world when we're born again we are priests of God, and as priests, again, we have two main responsibilities. Number one, which I mentioned earlier, offer spiritual sacrifices, people. men and women. Uh, so Romans 12, 1 called, and 2. We are, we are born into this and we're going to look at this later again. again. We are priests uh, of God. And as I beseech you, therefore, again, brethren, by the mercies of God, Number one, that which you I present your earlier, bodies a offer spiritual living sacrifice, sacrifice. men and women. Uh, so spiritual sacrifice, a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. See, we're called to serve. We're, we're, we're called to offer our bodies a living sacrifice to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will be. And, it goes, and I even left out a part where it says, do not be conformed to this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we are to offer spiritual sacrifice 
sacrifices, we are also to bring praise and glory to him who has saved us. And, and that's our calling. That's your calling. If you name the name of the Lord, you have a, you have a responsibility to minister spiritually and offer sacrifices to God. And there's a number of times this is used in Scripture. We'll look at that. And ultimately to bring praise and glory to God. How do you bring praise and glory to God? Uh, by offering yourself, but also not just in what you say, but how, how you carry yourself, how you live, how, how you comport yourself in this life. Um, and we'll talk about this as we go down. But look at some of these verses, uh, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. By him, therefore, and, and our priesthood is predicated on Jesus. That's what it said in 1 Peter 5, uh, 1 Peter 2, if you look back up there in verse 5, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We have no calling outside of our relationship to Jesus. And Hebrews 13, 15, by him, therefore, by Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of God of praise to God. How often? Continually. Meaning when I have a bad day and things aren't going right, and I'm sick, or I've lost my job, or my wife is not treating me like the royalty that I am, yeah, we should laugh. But uh, I got to praise God at that point. Yes. Things aren't going well, right. how, how much? How often is continually? I've lost my job all the time. So we are to uh, by Him. Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice. And, and the key is by Him. If we don't walk with Him and rest in Him and trust in Him and walk with you know, we cannot do what this calls us to do. Offer the sacrifice of praise. So we are to God continually. Let us offer the sacrifice. And it's the sacrifice of. Praise. We don't walk with him and rest in him. But when you sacrifice something, what are you what are you we doing? We cannot do this giving it up, right? Offer the sacrifice you know, in the Old Testament when they sacrificed an animal. It was consumed. It was dead. It was gone. So we have the sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we're sacrificing giving it up, right? When we give friends, uh, especially when we don't feel like it. We are to offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his sacrificing. So we are to continually be thankful to God, praising God, praising the Lord for what he's done, for who we are, the child of God, as a continual part of our life. Without exception, doesn't matter what. The only way that can be done is by him, walking with him, making him the focus of our existence, of our life. In verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. It's not just giving praise to God continually and being thankful to him, but doing good. And to communicate, forget not. So we have to do good. We have to communicate with, here's a horizontal challenge. The first one would be vertical. If we are giving the sacrifice of, of praise to God continually with our lips, that's vertical, right? That's, that's between us and God. agree with that. 
should be our, now, our attitude is, in life. When do all of the second verse place is more horizontal. Seven year Doing period, good which is and communicating. And that so it's not just retreating to the monastery in the wilderness or on the top of the mountain, by the but you can become a spiritual leader, monk between or whatever and praising God all day. No, as a priest, we are doing things what pertaining to God, but also what? The rapture of the church doesn't start mankind. that period. It's God has us here. So to do good, to communicate, don't forget that. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So there's a, there's a vertical aspect to our sacrifice, and there's a horizontal aspect the to our, to our sacrifice as well. In uh, Philippians 4.18, it says this. But I have all and abound. I am full, really, having re received of, a, of Epaphroditus the things which, which were sent from you, uh, an odor of a sweet before. smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now here, it's the giving of the saints. And they ministered to Paul. And that offering well, from God. them, here, that whether it was food or, or finances or whatever the case might be, was a well-pleasing sacrifice that, that God accepted. Or, or and that, that or they ministered the be, to Paul. Now, this doesn't well have to be only people in ministry. It can be to others who have a need. Sometimes that we are told in, in Galatians well, chapter 6 to do well unto all Good on to all people, who have a need. Sometimes, but especially to whom? The household of faith. Do well all so it's not just supporting those in ministry, it's also helping those, especially the household your brothers and sisters. So, so uh, and that, that, that's a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And then in Romans 15, 16, so, that I should be the uh, minister that, of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up, the, up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That the offering, sacrifice, the context here is the gospel, salvation. Gentiles coming to the Lord in this case. And Paul says that I am the minister of Jesus Christ. I'm the minister of the Gentiles. I share the gospel with the Gentile world that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable. That when they get saved, in a sense, Paul says, I've made this sacrifice or this offering to you. And I hope it's acceptable. It is acceptable. An offering is a sacrifice. When we share our faith and somebody comes to the Lord, it's as if we're giving an offering to God of a person who has come to the Lord. So we are commanded to offer spiritual sacrifices. It's good works. It's our lips praising God. It's, it's communicating the gospel. And when somebody comes to the Lord, all of that, uh, and you could probably think of other things, those are just some of the verses, would entail the spiritual sacrifices that we are to make uh, toward God as priests today. Now, turn over to the, the back of the page. And the second thought is ordained for men. If you look back at the, at the verse itself, for every high priest taken from among men 
is ordained for men. So we are taken from men. God, did, God doesn't use angels. He's called us. Uh, but we are also uh, ordained for men. The specific function of a priest in the Levitical priesthood was to represent man before God and lead in worship of God. Now here are just some of the duties of a priest that you will find that they had under the Levitical system. Only one of them did I put the verse down, which is the first one. Teach the people. Leviticus 10, 8 through 11. The Lord spoke unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink. Thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, <clears throat> and that ye may touch the teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. So God says to Aaron, I don't want you or your sons, I don't want anybody in the priesthood to touch strong drink or wine when you serve me. Now, Dan, I know, has taught on this, so you can talk to Dan about this. Um, what was it, NyQuil or something, Dan, they asked you about? Oh, don't talk to Bob. Don't talk to Bob about this. I forget where. I wasn't here when that blew up that time. Um, yes? Is this where the relationship or the uh, assumption that they, if the Nadab and Abihu died because they were drunk? No, no they, they, it says in Leviticus 10, they were sons of Aaron. Uh, and they died not because they were drunk, because they bought a, brought a false offering, fire to the Lord, it says in Leviticus 10. They could have been drunk. Um, that's a possibility, but, but that's not the reason they died. It was because of the wrong offering that they died. So, um, we're not gonna get into drinking right now, um, and that type of thing, but I, I, think, this is, I think this is a good, um, argument why we shouldn't get involved. How often are we to serve the Lord? How often are we to be bringing to him our sacrifices? We read it earlier. Continually. Uh, we're priests, and we don't want to be set aside by something else controlling our spirit. Uh, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye, Ephesians 5 says, filled, controlled by the Spirit of God. Uh, in my pre-salvation days, I was like Bob. Um, I was a wine bibber. You know, and uh, remember the sweet vino? Did you ever have sweet vino? Will you see, yeah, those are my incorrigible teenage, high school. We, we bought sweet vino because you could buy at 80 cents a whole gallon of it. Um, it was really wretched, but it did the job. But anyway, um, I don't do it anymore. I learned my lesson. You know, you wake up with a miserable, miserable headache. But anyway, um, I, I have been in the past at times um, drunk with wine in excess. I can tell you stories. I won't tell you stories. Told you enough already. Um, and I was under the control of that spirit, that wine. 
and I did stuff, and you've heard stories of people who do stuff that they would never do if they weren't under the control of the alcoholic spirits that they have. Um, <clears throat> I personally abstain from all alcoholic beverage. I, 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 I want to be set apart for serving God. Um, after I got saved, I went into the I went. I won't say one, one time into a bar, but I went into a bar um, and I had a drink and I took one sip. I said, why am I doing this? I literally said that to myself. I said, I don't want this stuff. I have something so much better and, and that is the last time other than unknowingly being given wine. It's a whole other story. Um, that I ever purposely took a drink of an alcoholic beverage. Um, and that was just a sip. Well, if the Old Testament priests were, were commanded not to, to take strong drink or because they were set apart to God to serve, perhaps that should be our desire as well. But that's not the point of what I wanted to make in this, what I have this here for. Uh, what were they to do? They were in verse 10. Uh, they were to put... The, they were to put difference between holy and holy. Holy is stuff set aside for God's service. Unholy is common areas, or clean and unclean the same way. And they were to communicate to the congregation of Israel, to the Israelites, the difference between what's right and what's wrong spiritually. What's good and what's bad. And as it says in verse 11, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord had spoken unto, unto them by the hand of Moses. They had a responsibility to teach the Israelites the law of Moses and what God had commanded them. Now, we can go down this list and we'll take a number of them anyway. Um, if you're a child of God, you are a priest. Don't you have a responsibility to teach the word of God to people who come into your spheres, into your sphere? could be your children, could be a friend, whomever it might be. We all have the responsibility to teach the Word of God to somebody. There may be areas that we are not, shouldn't be teaching the Word of God and somebody else should do it instead of us. But the Levites were called to teach the Word of God. We are called to teach the Word of God. They were to serve as judges to resolve controversy. Deuteronomy 21.5. Sometimes we are called... We have the wisdom to reserve, resolve controversy. Uh, they were to offer sacrifices. The sacrifices that we are to offer are spiritual. We've looked at that. They were to assess impurity. They were to decide what's clean and what's not clean. What is impure? Um, that falls into our domain as well today. Burning incense, no, nah, we don't have to burn incense. Bless the people, yes. Bless God, yes. Uh, they were required to keep the tabernacle, take care of the altar, prepare the holy th things for each day's journey, continue the sacred fire, blow the trumpets. Their entire life was given over to serving God. Um, they had all kinds of specific duties as a priest to follow through in. Now, but they were ordained for men. And in one way or another, uh, every single one of these things helped out other people helped out their fellow Israelites. Um, 
resolving controversy. They would offer a sacrifice for the, for the people uh, individually or whatever the case might be, and, and so on. And so they did things, and God set up that what they would do would be four men, four people to help them out. God has chosen us as priests to minister his truth to men. I put one verse down here in uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For after that, in the wisdom of God, by the, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased, by, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God chose to use us to help men. And God called us to help men, in this case, preaching the gospel. It's not just there with believers as well, uh, but we are called by God to minister to people. Every single one of us. We all have different gifts. We could look at the different gifts. Some are helps, our encouragement, some is mercy, some is teaching. Uh, whatever the gift might be, we are called, called to use the gift that God has given us, everyone. And, and, and if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, especially, even 13 and 14, uh, the gifts are given to profit with all, to profit others. And when you read in, in the giving of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it's always not for your benefit, for others' benefits. It's always to help others. So when God is called as, as, as priests, and he has, not Levitical priests, he's called us, though, and we have the same responsibility as Levitical priests did, which is we are called for men to minister to people, to help people. And that's why God gives us gifts. Not for ourselves. That's why, that's why the, the, the claim that, that there's a heavenly language, the angelic tongue, it's my special prayer language that God has given to me. Uh-uh. That's not the purpose. Every single time you look, wherever gifts are mentioned, whether it's in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, whether it's in Romans chapter 12, when it's in 1 Peter, I want to say um, chapter 3, verse 15, if I'm not mistaken, it's always mentioned the gifts are given to help others, never for yourself, pertaining to other people, without exception. So we don't have a gift for our benefit. <clears throat> now, if we use the gift that God has given us, we'll find fulfillment, we'll find joy, we'll find purpose in our life. But it's not given primarily for those reasons, it's given to help others. Um, so what God does. Now, <clears throat> the next thought, uh, occupied with things pertaining to God. Their life, the Old Testament priests, their whole life was to be occupied with the things pertaining to God. That's why God called them. Um, in Deuteronomy 18, 1 through 8, I only put down one verse, verse 5. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes, the Levites, to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. God has chosen the Levites to minister forever 
to the Lord. Their life was to be given over to the things pertaining to God. Now, we are to be no different in our life as a priest. Our life should be given over to the things pertaining to God. A hundred percent of the time. Now, I know that's not easy. Actually, it's impossible. But just because it's impossible doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for it. Look what Colossians says. <coughs> if ye then be with, risen with Christ, spiritually speaking, and we are, if ye be, then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. So if you're saved, you're risen with Christ. Spiritually, Ephesians 1 tells us, we are actually now seated in the heavenlies. Now practically, is that true? No, these might be comfortable chairs, but they're not heavenly thrones. Um, they're not anywhere close to it. But spiritually speaking, once we're saved, in the mind of God, in the eyes of God, we're seated in the heavenlies. It's a done deal, it's a finished, it's accomplished fact that one day we will be actually seated in the heavenlies, but positionally we are now there, and positionally we have been resurrected. We have been raised with Christ, and though then we are to seek those things which are above. That should be our whole purpose, to please God. It doesn't matter where you are in life. You can be in business, you can be a teacher, you can be a doctor, you can be a homemaker, uh, you can be retired. It doesn't really matter where you are in your station in life. You can be 15, you can be 105. We are to do what? We are to seek those things which are above. In other words, what pleases the Lord? Everything pertaining to him should be our focus. Setting our affection, verse 2, on things above, not on things on the earth. That's tough at times, but that's what we're to do. Where should our focus be? On North Carolina, Tar Heel, NCAA championship, basketball team run, or the Wolfpack, NC State, right? The Wolfpack, I think, yeah who occasionally get as far as them, meaning the Tar Heels, but not usually. Should that, where, should that be where our focus is? No. It's not wrong to have an interest in it. Um, but be careful about being a, a fan. You know fan is short of? Short for? Fanatic. You know who you should be a fanatic for? Yeah, that's right, for God, for the Lord. Not for North Carolina Tar Heels, not for Duke. You don't want to do a Blue Devil team anyway, right? Just because the name Devils. Um, you know, you know all the, these PC type of people in the world. You can't call anybody Redskins anymore, Indians, or, you know. I, I want to I I be religiously correct. In that. Let's get rid of all the Devils out there. Um, the Arizona State... Um, Devils, I forget, you know, Sun Devils, I think it is, and 
the Blue Devils and Durham, and you know, I, I think we need to get rid of those names. Keep the Indian names. We get rid of the devil names. So, but anyway, um, I'm just kidding. I, I, you know, I don't call them what they want. I have nothing to do with those schools. We need to be focused on God's things. And then Romans 12:1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Chapter 12, Romans. The mercies of God is what has been laid out in the previous 11 chapters. And the, and the first eight chapters, the mercies of God deals with your condemnation, then your justification, and your present sanctification, and your ultimate glorification. And because God has been so merciful that he has saved you, and he is sanctifying you, and he will take you to heaven one day, you then need to present your bodies a living sacrifice because of what God, the mercies of God, what he's done for you. And if you present your bodies a sacrifice, sacrifices were... How consumed? Completely, but living. So the priests were to give their life, the Levites, 100% to the things pertaining to God. We're no different today. It's not around a tabernacle. It's not around a temple. Uh, but we are in no uh, less a way a priest and required to serve God 100%. Now, look at verse 2. The next thing with the priest who can have compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way. Compassion on the ignorant. Compassion literally means dealing gently or bearing gently with, with, with the ignorant and them that are out of the way. So it's dealing gently, bearing uh, gently, compassionately with two groups of people here. One are the ignorant, and the others are those who err out of the way. Now, there's going to be another group of people we're going to look at. But generally speaking in the scripture, the scripture identified, generally speaking, two groups of people, the ignorant and the rebellious. Now, in this verse here, the ignorant and them that are, that are erring, literally, that are out of the way, that are not walking the correct way, not walking the correct path. And you can walk the incorrect path ignorantly because you've just never been told what the true path is. So you're erring, you're walking the incorrect way, you're not going the correct way, but you're doing it ignorantly because you've never been instructed the correct way. And then there are those who are just plain ignorant. Now, ignorant is not a negative word. If you willfully remain ignorant, then that's a whole other story. Uh, but ignorant means you just don't know. You've not, you're, you're, you, 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 you're not aware of the true way. <clears throat> it doesn't mean you're walking necessarily in the wrong path. It just means that you've never heard at all of the path. Uh, there are people, let's put it in the religious world, there are people walking the wrong path because they've never heard of the correct path. So he's dealing with these two people 
people. So in a sense, they fit in the same group, if you will, okay? They're both ignorant. Um, one, because they've never heard. The other, they're walking in error, uh, but it's not willful, rebellious error. And when we look at the scripture over and over, there are generally two groups of people that we can identify in scripture. And we'll see it shortly. The ignorant, pardon? Well, both, both, both. Um, it covers both. It can cover, it does cover unsaved who are ignorant and walking in a way that's not pleasing to God just because they don't know. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> then you have Christians as well, and we're going to get into that uh, as well, uh, who are ignorant, but some are rebellious. So it covers really both, you'll find in Scripture. So you have ignorant and rebellious people. Now, turn your, turn the, go to page three. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 28, then verses 30 through 31. Talks about ignorant sins and knowingly sinning. Rebelliousness. Numbers 15, 28. The priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sins ignorantly. When he sins by ignorance before the Lord, to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. So you sin because you're just ignorant of what God really requires of you. And there's a lot of people in this camp. Um, they don't know what God wants. They don't know what God requires. And, and they do sin. They do break God's standards, but they do it ignorantly. And there is an atonement that the priests in the Old Testament for Israelites who did this would offer a sacrifice for. But in verses 30 and 31, it says this, But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether it be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproaches the Lord. That soul shall be cut off, cut off from among his people. Why? Because he had despised the word of the Lord and had broken his commandment. That soul shall utterly be cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. So this is one who knowingly rebels, knowingly sins. Um, he's presumptuous. Now, presumptuous means you presume that what you do is going to be okay and here, he knows he's wrong. He knows what the commandment of God is. I mean, look at verse 31. He's despised the word of the Lord. His presumption is, you know, God's not going to punish me. You know, God's not going to do anything to me. And it could be God's not even real. You know, there could, the presumption can be based on all kinds of erroneous understanding. But the point is, this person has despised the word of the Lord. He's broken his commandment. And he's been presumptuous. Doesn't matter whether he's born in the land, whether he's a stranger in the land, but this is somebody who has heard the word of God and, and basically has said, it doesn't, it's not for me. It's presumption. That soul has rebelled against God, despised the word, and, and he is to be cut off. So the, here's the two people. There's those who are ignorant, um, and the ignorant might do the same type of thing as the presumptuous sinner, 
But the difference is, is the ignorant one did it in not knowing. This one, the other one did it knowingly, rebellious, rebelliously, presumptuously sinning. Now, keeping that in mind, and that can be unsaved and that can be saved, we'll see. And we'll look at that shortly. Having compassion literally means to be moderate in passion, gentle, to treat indulgently, to have compassion. Now, ignorant means not to know. Lack of information or intelligence, the Greek could mean. But in this kind of case here, it's not. It's just lack of information generally. Now, I made this comment here. This, this does not mean we excuse sin. But realize that sinful people, I don't like to listen to Christian talk radio. I don't mind listening, and I listen a lot to secular talk radio. I expect them to say stupid stuff. I anticipate it coming out of their lips. They're lost. They're unsaved. They're sinners. They're ignorant. It doesn't bother me when an unsaved person says stupid stuff, I mean, generally speaking. I don't like to listen to talk radio because I hear just as much stupid stuff, almost, from people who should know better theoretically because it's Christian radio. And how many times have I told that to you, Cheryl? A lot. <laughs> I, I, I can't listen to it. I, 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 get, I get just so exercised over it because of the stupidity of these, some of these people. Not everybody, obviously. Well, um, we don't excuse sin, but we need to realize sinful people do sinful things, right? I mean, that's, you know, they don't have any other spiritual capacity. Uh, the meaning of this would, not, it would include not taking extreme positions. In other words, to be compassion, deal gently, bear gently. The meaning of this... Um, uh, is, is it would include not taking extreme positions on either side. Taking a middle position, in other words. For example, it is not being either too sympathetic or too apathetic. You know, if you get too sympathetic with somebody, you, you, then you're not being rational in how to deal with them. If you're apath too apathetic or apathetic, you get to the point you don't care. So there's a balance there, in other words, that the word is speaking about. Taking a middle position. It's caring enough to get involved, but not becoming completely emotionally involved with an individual that you lose perspective and judgment. So realizing that we have the propensity towards the same kind of failure. Uh, and that's what the last part of the verse says uh, in there. Now, Weist Word Studies says this about the word on... Uh, compassion. Uh, it means to be moderate or tender in judgment towards another er, another's errors. It speaks of a state of feeling toward the ignorant and the erring, which is neither too severe nor too tolerant. The high priest must be careful lest he become irritated at sin and ignorance. Ignorance and erring. Two ways. You don't become too involved um, unless you become 
than intolerant of what's happening. Happening. The high priest must be careful lest become irritated sin and ignorance. <clears throat> he must also take care that he does not become weakly indulgent and allows it to happen. The high priest must be able to be moderate and tender toward the ignorant. And this applies to us as well. Don't get so emotionally involved with the individual that you cannot think straight about what needs to be done. Don't become so apathetic that you can walk away and not get involved at all. There's a balance is what it's saying there. Um, now, them that are out of the way, that's those who err. We have the ignorant and them that are out of the way. Now, Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible Commentary says this about this, these people. Not deliberately and altogether willfully erring but deluded through the fraud of Satan and their own carnal frailty and thoughtlessness. So these people who are, uh, them, they're, they're out of the way. They're not ignorant, but they're, they're erring. They're not walking in the correct way. They're defrauded, they're frauded by Satan, uh, but they're not deliberately and willfully rebelling against God. Um, Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges comments on them, they're out of the way this way. High-handed sinners, willing sinners, those who in the Hebrew phrase sin with upraised hand, Numbers 1530, Deuteronomy 17, cannot always be treated with compassionate tenderness, Hebrews 10:26. But the ignorant and the erring, those who sin inadvertently, involuntarily, and even those who under stress of passion and temptation sin willfully need pity. So, so what he's saying is the high priest, and by extension then, each of us as a priest, when we come across people who are ignorant, or as the King James says, um, them that are out of the way, erring, not walking, in the, we need to have compassion. We need to deal gently with them. We need to bear with them. Not getting so emotionally involved that we cannot instruct them in the correct way. And on the flip side, not being so apathetic that we don't reach out to them at all. So there's a middle ground. There's a balance. And that's what it's saying about the high priest, what he needed to do. Now, it doesn't mean he always did it, but that's what God wanted of him. So, generally speaking, people who are ignorant but, and people who err walk in the wrong way but are not doing it willfully, we need to be compassionate, deal gently with, bear with them, not getting them so emotionally involved we really can't help them, nor being so apathetic we won't help them. But there are two groups of people excluded from this command in the scripture. And the command is to bear or deal gently. The first one is heretics. Titus 3, 10 and 11 says this. A man that is a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject knowing he that is such is subverted and sins, being condemned of himself. 
Now, heretic literally means fitted or able to take or choose a thing, a, a, a schismatic, factious follower of false doctrine. Heretic. But notice what it says in verse 10. A heretic after the first and second admonition. So you try to go to, a, to the heretic initially to try to get them to repent and to respond. How many times? Twice. Now, when we turn the page over, you're going to see the verse on the next page, but don't turn the page over. Some of you turn the page over. Okay, that's fine. <coughs> what, what, what passage parallels this that you might think of? It's in the Gospels. It's in Matthew. You can turn the page over. One of them will come back here. Look at Matthew 18, what Jesus taught. <coughs> Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall bear thee, thou shalt gain thy brother. There's the first admonition, right? But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. There's the second admonition. And if he neglected to hear them, tell it to the church. And here's the third admonition, actually. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So if he, you go to him one time, you go to him two times, but in, the, in, in this type of instance with, a, with a, someone who claims to be a child of God, ultimately you take it to the leadership of the church. And if he won't respond, to, or she, it doesn't matter, you know, if that person won't respond, they are to be excommunicated from the church, from the fellowship. Now go back to the previous page. I want to read to you what Benson Commentary says about heretic. A man that is a heretic, and obviously this is mankind. It could be a woman too. A man that is a heretic, Greek for party or schism, schism maker, namely in the church, among the true, genuine people of God, or one that causes divisions among those that are united in Christian fellowship. And it mentions um, Romans 16, verse 17, where it says, Mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you have learned, and avoid them. Romans 6, 7, 16, 17. Mark them, which causes divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. That's Romans 16, 17. After the first and second admonition, from thee and the elders of the church, and I would even concur with this, first and second admonition, yes, we are to go to them. If they won't respond, take somebody else with you. But then if they, and that's the first. If that doesn't work and they don't respond, then you take it to the church. That's the second admonition. After the first and second admonition, from thee and the elders of the church, Given with proper solemnity, reject, avoid, and declare him unfit to be any longer looked upon as a member of your community. This is the only place in the whole scripture where this word heretic occurs. Only here in Titus. And here it evidently means a man that obstinately, because 
If you're going once and then twice to them, this person is obstinate about him. He's not ignorant. He's not erring because he doesn't know the way. He is willfully rebellious, obstinate in what he believes. This is the only place in the whole scripture where this word heretic occurs. Herod evidently means a man that obstinately persists in contending about foolish questions and thereby occasions strifes and animosities, schisms and parties among the faithful. This and this alone is a heretic in the scripture sense. And his punishment likewise is here fixed. Shun, avoid, leave him to himself, have no fellowship with him. So this type of person, if they continue on their course, you don't deal gently with them. You don't bear with them. You don't show them compassion. Ultimately, the church gets involved, the leaders of the, of the church that they're a member of, and they're addressed, and if, they, if they're obstinate, they continue, you, you, you have nothing to do with them. That's completely opposite of what this dealing gently with is. And so then on um, the back of the page, Matthew chapter 18, <clears throat> the other group of people that you don't deal gently with are... are and the argument can be made that the, the, the heretic here <clears throat> perhaps is not a saved person. But then you have willfully sinning believers. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter two, chapter three, verse six. Now we command you, brethren. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. A brother is obviously then a Christian, a saved person. <clears throat> and there are those children of God that <clears throat> walk disorderly, not after the, the tradition which he ever received. The tradition you received is the, the teaching of the Word of God, the teaching of Paul and the apostles, what the Bible teaches. And if there's a, someone who claims the name of the Lord and, and, and walks disorderly, that, that is the sense of, uh, of, a, um, of a continuous type of thing. Not a one-time thing, but a continuous type of thing. That's why first and second admonition and then the church, and if they are just set in their way, then they are disfellowship. They are shunned. They are avoided. So there is that willfully sinning believer. That type of person you ultimately don't deal gently with. You withdraw yourself. And ultimately you leave them to God. You know, there's so many examples of Scripture. One of them, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was this man who was having sexual relationships with his stepmother. More than likely it was his stepmother because it says in 1 Corinthians 5, he was having sexual relationships, relationship with his father's wife. Not his mother. So if it was his father's wife, it was more than likely his stepmother, what we would call stepmother. The Corinthian church was puffed up. They didn't deal with it. So Paul says, I have judged already that what we're going to do with this man is we're going to turn, he's going to be turned over to Satan 
for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul was an apostle. He obviously had that unique calling before God to literally do it. But if he, he would turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Would he be saved? Yeah. In the day of the Lord Jesus, he was a child of God. But Satan would destroy his flesh. In other words, kill him. God would withdraw his protection. Think of Job. No different. Now, this was a trial of faith with Job. Satan came to God and said, you know why Job loves you so much? You've given him children, you've given him wealth, you've given him all this stuff. If you would take that away from him, he wouldn't love you anymore. So God said to Satan, okay, you can do this, this, and this, but eventually said, you knew all of this, but don't do what? Don't kill him. Don't take his life. When God removes his protection and gives it over to Satan, you, you're dead. You're dead meat. You're toast. Thank you. <coughs> Burnt toast. Um, so there are these two groups of people, heretics and willfully sinning believers, that it, reaches, it can reach a point where we don't deal gently, compassionately with them. Generally, that, that's, the, that's the unique person. That's the exception to the rule. Generally speaking, we have to be like the high priest was. Compassionate, <coughs> bearing gently, dealing gently with people, but having a balance. Not being so emotionally involved that we're, we're no good, or being so apathetic that we're no good. Middle ground. And reaching out to the people. Then verse 3. <clears throat> and I didn't even read the note I put under believers. God wants us to be compassionate and, comparing, uh, compassionate and caring with those who are ignorant and erring. God also wants us to reject heretics and willfully sinning believers. Many Christians have a difficult time in obeying this command concerning willfully sinning believers, but it should be obeyed for the health of the body of Christ, the best interests of the sinning believer. It's ultimately for that person's best interest. Verse 3. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. He would offer the high priest sacrifice for sins. Daily, the priest would offer daily, month, weekly, monthly, yearly, that type of thing. We, we don't op operate in the same way, but we, we do make offerings for sin. Number one, <clears throat> in, in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, My little children, these things write I unto you, <clears throat> that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Jesus is our advocate. He represents us. He's our mediator. He's our price, high priest if we sin. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We can tell people, unsaved people, Jesus died for your sins. He is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Not just for believers, but for everybody. So we have a responsibility as priests to go out and tell the unsaved that Jesus died for them. That's so clear in Scripture. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. 
beginning at Jerusalem, Judea, uh, and Samaria, and on to the end of the earth, uttermost parts of the earth, be witnesses for him. We are commanded to do that, <clears throat> to tell about that sacrifice. But for believers, we have a sacrifice. 1 John 1, 9, verses 7 through 9. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one, one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from sin. If we say that we have no son, sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The context of this is fellowship, not salvation. The end of verse 2 of chapter 2 is salvation. Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. He died for everybody. This, in 1 John 1, 9, is fellowship. That the, the sacrifice of Jesus, as our advocate, our mediator, is good enough to, to enable us to have continued fellowship with the Father. We just have to agree that we have sinned when we sinned, to continue that fellowship relationship. So we have, we can tell people. You know, if you, if you counsel with a Christian and they don't have the joy of the Lord or, or some issue in their life, the first thing that they need to do is be understanding of their sin before God as a child of God. If they are a child of God, confess that sin so they can have fellowship with God. That's where it starts. Then look at verse 4. <coughs> No man takes this honor onto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Aaron was called of God. The priests were called of God. If you're saved, you're called of God to be a priest. Deuteronomy 18.5 with Aaron and the tribes. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. Aaron and his sons, the tribe of Levi, they were called of God. Priests were called by God to serve in the tabernacle and in the temple. Believers, we are priests. We are called by God to serve him. Look at John 15, 16. <clears throat> Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and appointed you or ordained you. For what? For salvation? No that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should, re should remain. What have we been chosen to do? Bring forth fruit. Have an impact on the world around us. God has chosen us, appointed us, ordained us that we should bring forth fruit. That's service. Same with Ephesians 1.4. <clears throat> according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Us in the context is believers. What are we chosen for? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's service. God wants pure, unique, set apart, holy vessels. As priests, God has called us to serve him, to bring forth fruit, to live holy lives in this world. 
and the beginning of verse 4, no man takes this honor onto himself. It is an honor to serve God. Every single believer is a priest. Every single believer has been given gifts. Every single believer has been called to serve him, to bring forth fruit. And it is an honor. You don't have to be in full-time service. We're all called to serve him. There's no greater honor in the world. If you could become president of the United States, it's a step down from being a child of God and a priest of the Most Holy God and serving him. Now, you can be a believer, theoretically, and be the president of the United States, but the, but the emphasis then should be on believer, not president. It's an honor to serve God. For all of us, we've been called, we're priests. Next week, next week, am I here next week? No, I'm not here next week. Dan is teaching next week. Um, Cheryl and I will be at a wedding. One of the board members, not, he's not getting married, or she, you know, he's not, but his son is getting married next Friday night. One of the board members of Jewish Awareness Ministry, I must go to there. Uh, to the wedding. Um, so we will be at a wedding next Friday night, and Dan will be back in John. Uh, so come out. But in two weeks, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at the next six verses, five through ten, where Jesus meets all of these requirements. All six of these things, Jesus meets these criteria. We, should, we meet them also. And should meet them. You know, sometimes we fall short in compassion, for example. Uh, you know, but we should meet all six of these as well. So let's, let's close with a word of prayer. And um, I know there's some good stuff back there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.